This is the Four Seasons of Epic Fantasy, Season 1, Episode 5. Thank you for joining us today. You are listening to the Four Seasons of Epic Fantasy. I am Raphael, the Networking Ninja, and introducing our newest member of our group. I am Sammy Marchand, and I am the Mother of Monsters. I am Leah, the Alchemist. And I am Thomas, the Wearer of Vests. I'm Jeremy, the Mostly Mad Hatter. Ooh, I like that. That's a good title. <laughs> awesome. So, today's episode is going to be talking about the evolution of fantasy as a genre. Talking old fantasy versus new fantasy, Grandpa Tolkien, uh, great-grandson Sanderson. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and get us started. All right. Um, we affectionately have the term for, for Tolkien, Grandpa Tolkien, because uh, not everybody necessarily writes stories like he does anymore, but he was, he, he is a, a, you know, a force to be, be reckoned with. A yeah. lot of his stuff came from studying a lot of mythology and about the Fae and a bunch of older myths and legends and things like that. He had a lot of description, visual descri- He had a lot of visual description just for the fact that back in those days, um, people needed a little boost of help when it came to imagination. <laughs> um, so a lot of people struggle with that style of writing nowadays just because there was almost too much description. But I think we're missing we're missing out on that a little bit. Wouldn't you agree? No. No? No, because I've read all of the, I've read The Hobbit and all of The Lord of the Rings, and I remember reading The Fellowship of the Ring, thinking, will somebody get this stupid, fat little hobbit out of this darn shire because I'm sick of reading this part? (laughs) There was too much. And then there's this tree that ate them and this Tom Bombadil doofus, and I was like, why is that even there? You know? (laughs) Also, Tom Bombadil's great. Oh, man, I was just like, can the tree eat him? You like Tom. I like Tom. There's actually a whole book about Tom on the side. You can tell a lot about somebody whether they think Tom Bombadil that should have been included in the movie. No. He should have been. <laughs> no. Thank you. No. I'm going to go with yes. No. I love Tom Bombadil. <laughs> he should have made a cameo. Let's go with middle ground here. He was okay. pretty pointless, though, in the story. I was like, why was this guy here? Here and gone, he doesn't come he back. W- he was a cameo for his children, for his grandchildren, because he was oh. based off of a doll they had. Mm, that gotcha. Sense. That's interesting. So, yeah, that Slash is. semi-based on himself. Still glad we're not going to dive into that. In. Well, with, with <laughs> great grandson uh, Sanderson, as we like to call Brandon Sanderson, he tends to get wordy sometimes with his books as well, um, with descriptions or going back and really overemphasizing a person's emotional state of being. Um, do you find that personally enjoyable? Do you think, hey, hey, speed it up? I I need less of the same and more of difference. Do you no. like it? I do. I like. I really like Sanderson's writing mm-hmm. because it it builds you up and then throws you off a cliff, mm-hmm. and that he's just really good at writing that way, and it's you know it doesn't it doesn't plateau, basically is how I feel about it because there were there were parts reading you know the Lord of the Rings where I did feel that the story just majorly plateaued and it was a struggle to get through it. I've never struggled through getting through any of Sanderson's work at all. So what do you think has been the transitional? point then through the history of fantasy from Tolkien to Sanderson. So one big thing that's uh, changed that kind of brings us to our next point Mm -hmm. is uh, talking viewpoint. Now, omniscient viewpoint with this narrator, with this, you know, grand storytelling, I'm sitting in a leather armchair telling the kids a story, um, that was more popular. Um, Now we're kind of going more into third person limited where you pick one person's head to be inside of and you flavor everything according to that person's point of view. Um, you kind of get the benefits of writing in third person and first person. 
Because first person, you really dig into one person's perspective, but third person, you can have more than one point of view. You're talking so, third person close? Yeah, third person close, third person limited. Okay. Um, and uh, another factor in this, you know, this big exposition-y, omniscient point of view is uh, people are a bit less, less patient now because of movies. Um, movies get right to the, to most, the, of the <laughs> most of the time. I also kind of think that perhaps people's imaginations were underestimated before, whereas people have stronger imaginations than a lot of people give them credit for. The readers, people who, who are avid readers, they have good imaginations or they wouldn't be avid readers. You don't have to describe the texture of a velvet curtain because you know what velvet feels like. You know, you can just say, it was a blue velvet curtain. Here, here's, here's an interesting point, though. Do you think the imagination is now starting to be stifled once more? Because a lot of the movies, the games, the books that we read now mm -hmm. seem to have not only the, the same elements or very similar elements, but they don't tend to deviate from very specific plot lines or creatures or characterizations of people. Do you I... think that, oh, sorry. at least with mainstream... Yeah, I was going to say, even with mainstream, I, I, uh, when it comes to films and a lot of video games, yeah, totally. But mm -hmm. when it comes to literature, heck no. People are experimenting a lot. We've got, like, flintlock fantasy. Um, we've got a lot more, like, diversity and main characters. So you're saying that the literature world is still untouched by this? It's not untouched, but I feel that it's... I mean, it's the safest have, medium. Yeah, you still got you know those, and and there's not as many now, but you still got those copycats of Tolkien, um, mm. and uh, there's some good examples of that and some bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like literature is is a great place to find. If you're getting sick of dudes, go go read a book. Good, yeah. good, good. Um, another thing that uh, is different, kind of going back to that, is uh, they're not European sausage fests anymore. Um, <laughs> very, very few female characters all set in a European setting. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That just used to be everything. Like, you know, Terry Brooks and Dungeons and Dragons and, um, you know, even, not as much, but even to an extent Wheel of Time, they were like... Hey, look, here we are, strolling around some imaginary version of Europe where nobody has gunpowder, um, which wasn't the case. But, um... I was going to say, there were illuminators. In Wheel of Time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were the fireworks people, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they made guns. Booyah! Okay, so one, one copycat of, uh, of Tolkien that I just thoroughly enjoyed growing up was Dennis McKiernan. His later books, not so much, but his early books... He had a voice like Tolkien, but this, and even if the stories were similar, but I don't know why. I, I just totally enjoyed them. They were a little bit faster paced. Uh, it was incredible. And so some copycats really did a good job. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but I'd highly recommend the early books of his, Iron Tower Trilogy. Um, incredible series. Just was it a really character fun. development? No, it was just told in a way that was like... Tolkien. I mean, oh, okay. the, the, the characters, the locations, similar, and the voice was similar, but it was it was its own story, and it was pretty fantastic. Even had three planes of existence, had a, like, Middle Earth, and then... Uh, it was very, very, very similar. But, and also Dragon Doom, uh, possibly still my favorite book ever read, uh, was written by him, and it's a great book. 
and it's kind of in that style, but it's a totally different story. I, some of these copycats are really good and worth reading. I highly recommend that one in particular, especially, like I said, the early stuff that he wrote. Um, nice. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of copycats out there. Yep. As much as I like playing D&D, it's totally, totally a copycat. It um, is, yeah. And the problem is, isn't when people, you know, use elves and dwarves and whatever, it's when they copy Lord of the Rings world building without understanding the roots that Lord of the Rings world building came from. Like stories of like the Fae and folklore, know, mythology, Beowulf mm-hmm. and Sigurd was it Sigurd's ring or the ring of Nibelung, however you say that that, author, that ancient story. Is that, a, is that a dog food brand? <laughs> it's, it's about a ring that makes you turn invisible and all the moral quandaries that come out of that. And it's a really old story, like you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but usually, when something feels like a weak copycat, it's because they don't have that, like, mythological foundation. They're just like... Or they're just being lazy. Or they're just being lazy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's overdone off. So, Leah, you've read Wheel of Time. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about how Robert Jordan's world building is not, you know, like, copy-paste Lord of the Rings. Wow. Because it is pretty different. Robert, Robert Jordan's world building was... I mean, it's its own thing. You know, you can tell that he actually created a past, a real past that goes back 3,000 years. He has songs in it. He has that, that you know, folklore in it. He has poetry. He has, um, he has this entire set of prophecies that he's created. I mean, his history that he created for his world is, is really, really intense. So you can tell that he put a lot of thought into it. You can also tell that when he was creating the land masses that he really did a lot of research on on land, you know. How terrain yes. yeah. Weather, how, how it affects landscapes. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. also how weather affects the way that people dress. Because, you know, you dress according to the weather. You just do. Mm-hmm. And he really, really incorporated that really well from from one area to another where, you know, people are wearing shorter dresses and, and sleeveless tops as opposed to everyone over in this area that's more north where it, you know, actually gets cold and snows and people dress more what you would consider modesty, modestly in that story. So, I mean, he really, really paid attention to detail there. Yeah. I love that. Um, one thing I've I've been reading this book series by Tasha Tasha Sari, and I'm sorry if I'm slaughtering the pronunciation of her name. Tasha Sari. Or Suri. Oh shoot, I might have mistyped that. You need to anyway, head for saying sorry. <gasps> Maybe you should. Um, <laughs> it's called Empire of Sand, and it's about the Mughal Empire, which was an empire in India. No, not Mughal. No, not Mongol. The Mughals. Okay, I was thinking Final like Fantasy. cute little Mughals from Final yeah. Fantasy. <laughs> You know? No, yeah. no, no, no. These are like, and so like the magic system is really intriguing. The world building's cool. Um, heck, the heck the Mughals. The Mughals. Uh, they had this weapon. Speaking of cool world building, where they had a three foot sword hooked to a rocket, and they had an array full of these, and they'd shoot these rockets, and as the sword would come down, it would start spinning. Oh, like, so just imagine, like, you see this, instead of a volley of arrows, it's a volley of spinning swords. Oh, gosh. So that sounds cool. Terrifying. That's really cool, but that, that sounds is... so, like, such a waste of resources. Well, you know, after they chop them all up, you go and pick them up. But, um, <laughs> so, one thing that I want to see more of, is something Brandon Sanderson does well, and a lot of other newer, newer writers, 
It's not like, let's not do European, let's do African and Indian and like an Asian and that's great and stuff, but I love it when people create cultures completely whole cloth. Roth, I feel you do this. Um, I, I try to do this. I create, you know, everything from, from lore and mythology. Like from and scratch. Story. Absolutely from scratch. Entire languages, too. You're not copying and pasting, you know, no. Africa and saying, not that Every, we shouldn't even get other cultures and swear words. fantasy, but... Well, even religions, swear words, monsters, uh, uh, food recipes, um, poetry and, and mythology, everything is completely unique and... and to that place. I wanted to write a book series that was not Tolkien. Although, granted, I do have, you know, castles and people have swords, you know, it's not... <laughs> you gonna... have flying castles and you have... I, I, I have, yeah, I've got like One weird build... Them all. A, pit of, <laughs> a, a hidden pit of magic swords where each king gets to... Each pick new king gets to pick weapon. their own unique fancy sword. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, 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 yeah. For the rest of you guys, um, for the last, you know, moment we have... Um, what have you guys seen that you feel is like really unique stuff people are doing in fantasy now? Whether it's world building or plotting or whatever. Um, I can give Thomas some props. His his worlds are very, very unique. He he he, he, he includes things like dinosaurs. He includes. I still love those, by the way. And the robots. Uh, I mean... Magic robots. Magic robots, yes. And it's fantastic. Um, the worlds are believable. There's, there's a small world and small little island in the middle where the guy's from. And then he's got these two giant continents with different giant beasts on them. And it's really cool. Uh, and, and he talks about the different, the different areas. I, I don't know. I think you're doing a good job with that. Oh, thank you. I haven't read the Star one yet, so I... Outside of the first chapter, yeah, so I can't really say much about that. One. So uh, I'll, I'll, now I'll uh, we'll go around the table and you know hand each other twenty bucks for this. Um, Leah's world building is really cool. Um, <laughs> she looks at me like what? Sorry, my train of thought was elsewhere. She's got the this uh, jungle, not jungle, desert group of like I just don't even know how to explain it. Um, they're cannibals. They're cannibals, but Elf they have good reasons, and they have special magic, and they're not elves, they're not dwarves, they're not anything, they're something totally new. Um, you know, and I also created another race of, they are elves, but they're swamp elves that wrestle alligators for fun, you know. Please tell me they, they, they talk in Cajun accents. No, not Cajun accents, but they or... are kind of hillbilly-ish, and they, <laughs> they you know, they, they poison, they drink, most of their drinks that they create are poisonous to everybody else. So if you actually so they like poison tree frogs. So yeah, so they just them. they'll just sit around just licking them. Ribbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make out with the with the with the swamp elf. No, no, don't. Really quick, okay. uh, when you're world building, you built it on history. I build mine on geography, um, and it's a little different. I, I go, okay, who would live here, and then I start developing out who would live here. Kind of like how Wheel of Time is, where there's people where shorter. Sleeve shirts and there's, there's not but. exactly a, a wrong way to do it. I think you know the way you did it is a great way to do it. I think that's actually a fantastic and a very smart way to do it because depending on the geography, it depends on the religion of the people, depends on what people's cultures and their their norms are. And I think that's a very smart thing that you did. That's interesting. Thanks. Appreciate that. I was just I was just wondering. I guess we can do a big thing on world, world building one of these times, just a full on podcast about that and different ways that we approach. 
We'll do it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do it in one. new and unique ways. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. This has been the four seasons of Epic Fantasy. Have a wonderful day. And where's the dead cat? It's, it's over there. On the microphone. <laughs> <laughs>